If you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be taking a look at some scripture that's probably familiar to uh, to most of you anyway. If you are a part or a regular part of Brock's United Methodist or Oak Grove United Methodist or Mary Stratham United Methodist, you are you are very familiar with this scripture. Uh, but we're going to be taking a look at the uh, at a passage out of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. So if you've got a Bible there handy with you, or if you have access to a, to a Bible app there on your uh, on your mobile device or your laptop or wherever you are, uh, we're going to be taking a look at Matthew chapter 28, and it's the concluding verses in the book of Matthew, verses 16 through 20. Verses 16 through 20, Gospel of Matthew. Start in verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, and when they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And that is the word of God for the people of God. And like I alluded to there a couple couple seconds ago prior to reading that, if this scripture sounds uh, familiar to you, if it sounds very familiar to you, like maybe we've, maybe we've gone down this road before recently, it, it could be because, yes, I actually quoted this scripture very, very recently in, a, uh, in another sermon when we were touching on the subject of obedience to Jesus. I think maybe that was two or three weeks back. If you are a member or a regular attender at Broxton or Oak Grove or Mary's Chapel United Methodist, this may sound familiar because you know by now that it is one of my personal favorite scriptures to quote. And you may have even by now picked up on the fact that this is either the either the second or third time within the past year uh, that I have preached specifically on this text. So, for the record, uh, yes, this is not only one of my favorite portions of Scripture, but it's also one of my favorite portions of Scripture to preach on. And it just happens to coincide with our prescribed gospel reading for this Sunday. And I absolutely could not pass up another opportunity to, uh, to preach on it, to speak on it, because I think it is such, it is, it is such a, a powerful text and it reveals so much of, of who we are and, and, and what we are called to be, who we are called to be as disciples of Jesus Christ. Because you see, these are Jesus' marching orders to his disciples. These are his marching orders to his disciples. Jesus gave these directives to them just prior to his ascension. These are the last recorded words of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. These were his, again, his directives and his marching orders to these disciples. And it's also our marching orders. 2,000 years later, this is what being a Christian is all about. This is who we are, and this is, this is what we do. This is our call to both evangelism and discipleship. And we're going to get into what those things are in just a second. But this is our call 
as, as followers, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are called to lives of evangelism and discipleship. That represents every single aspect of who we are, what we do, and where our identity is. All of us, all of us have this identity. All of us have these directives. All of us, if we are genuine, authentic followers of Christ, live into this identity. But let's get a base term. Let's start with these two terms that I've mentioned, evangelism and discipleship. Let's get an understanding of these terms just so to, just to make sure that, we are, that we're all on the same page here. There was once a Methodist pastor by the name of D.T. Niles who passed away uh, about 50 years ago. And he gave us one of my favorite definitions of evangelism of all time. One of the most succinct um, and very direct definitions of what evangelism is. And Pastor Niles said this. He said that Christianity or evangelism, Christian evangelism, is one beggar telling another beggar where he got bread. Evangelism, Christian evangelism, Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he got bread. People who were involved in Alcoholics Anonymous and uh, other 12 steps probably identify very well with this understanding of evangelism. You see, AA and other similar organizations or, or groups, they also evangelize. They don't evangelize on behalf of Jesus. They evangelize on the behalf of sobriety in the case of AA or sobriety in, or drug abstinence in the case of Narcotics Anonymous and all these, all these other 12-step groups that exist out there. And there are literally dozens, if not hundreds of them. But they all, all are evangelistic organizations, whereas AA evangelizes about sobriety and whatever, whatever their hang-up is, whatever that their habit is, whatever issue it is they are addressing, that is, that is, that is one thing that they do. That is, that is really one of the primary things that they do is they evangelize on the behalf of who they are and, and what they do. We do the same thing. A big part of 12-step programs are the testimonies that are given by those who have recovered. This is a huge part of, of, what, the, of, what, of what AA, NA, and some of these other groups do, is they tell their stories, personal testimonies. If that, does that sound vaguely familiar to some of you guys? Personal testimonies are a big part of the AA recovery program, and they are given by people who have recovered. These folks within these programs, they are taught, and you will often hear them speak words to tell their story on the basis of this. What it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. There are basically three parts. If you ever attend one of these meetings and you have a speaker giving their testimony, they're going to they're lay it out pretty much every time in this order because this is how they're taught to do it, and this, and this, is, this is the basic structure of the AA or the 12-step testimony. What it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. In other words, for them, what was your life like before sobriety? How did you live? How did you, how did you operate in the world? What did you do? What happened? What happened to change you? What happened, what happened to, to get you sober? What happened to change your mind, change your heart? How did that go about occurring in your life? And since then, 
What is your life now? What is your life like now in, in comparison or in contrast to what it was like then? What changed you and what's your life like now that you are sober? Isn't this the exact same thing with Christian evangelism? One beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. In fact, I would say this is probably the simplest and most natural way of evangelism. It is the simplest and most natural way of evangelism, with attempting to work along with the power of the Holy Spirit into bringing people into a relationship with Jesus Christ, telling our own stories, simply telling people our own stories. What was it like? What was our life like before Christ, before Jesus? What happened? When did Jesus step into our life? How did Jesus step into our life? How did that occur? When did that occur? What is it like now? What is my life now that I have Jesus, since I've had Jesus, in contrast or in comparison to what my life was like before? The simplest and really the most natural way of evangelism. And we've all got those stories to one degree or another. We've all got these transformational stories that, that we can tell people, that we can share with people. Another great definition of the word evangelism, what evangelism is, came from a theologian by the name of William J. Abraham. And he said it like this. He said, we can best improve our thinking on evangelism by conceiving it as the set of intentional activities which is governed by the goal of initiating people into the kingdom of God for the first time. That's a very long and very not succinct definition of evangelism. But it, nonetheless, it is a very, very good definition of evangelism. Let me, let, me, let me shorten it just a little bit. Evangelism are those intentional activities. Those are those things that we do on purpose. Those activities that we engage in, that we do on purpose, that are governed, that, are, that, are, that we specifically do or that we specifically engage in with the goal of initiating people into the kingdom of God or with the goal of presenting uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, or with the goal of bringing people, like I mentioned a second ago, along with God's grace, and along with the prompting and the work of the Holy Spirit, to bring people into a relationship with Jesus. Those activities that we participate in intentionally, with the purpose to work alongside the Holy Spirit into bringing people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. So evangelism can be seen. It can be experienced and it can be played out in so, so, so many ways. Anything we do, anything that we do intentionally with the end goal, with the assistance of the Holy Spirit to help bring people into a saving knowledge and a relationship with Jesus. So I'm going to give you, those are, that, that, that kind of gives us an idea of what evangelism is. Let's talk about discipleship because this is, this is primarily what I want to get into. Is discipleship. One of my favorite definitions of what a disciple is comes from a man by the name of Dallas Willard, who was a, a Baptist minister and a theologian and, and a philosopher who also passed away several years ago. Dallas Willard defined disciples as this. He said, a disciple is a person who has decided the most important thing in their life 
is to learn how to do what Jesus said to do. And I don't think it gets any more clearer than that, church. I don't think that you can have a more, a more, a more solid definition, a more succinct and, and, and uh, e simple, simple definition of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. What he calls for us to be and to make in these scriptures today. Make disciples of Jesus Christ. Again, I'll repeat Dallas's definition here. A disciple is a person who has decided the most important thing in their life is to learn how to do the thing that Jesus told us to do. This is hands down the most concise definition that I could give you of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And this is really, truly, what these concluding verses in the Gospel of Matthew are all about. Discipleship. Discipleship. Being disciples. Making disciples. Christ is very, very specific about this in these scriptures. This portion of scripture a lot of times is, uh, is referred to in Christian circles as the Great Commission. Uh, it is our, our, our evangelistic uh, calling, basically, to make other Christians. Dallas Willard, again, I'll bring Dallas back up. He often referred to verse 20 here. And let me read that to you again. Let's go back to verse 20 just to make sure we... Just to make sure we're, again, on the same page. The Matthew 28, uh, verse 20, last, last verse here. And teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Dallas Willard oftentimes referred to that as the great omission. Because of, its, of the tendency for that part of the scripture to be overlooked or outright ignored. A lot of times when you hear the scripture preached, you will not hear that last verse quoted. You will hear, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But very often, you won't hear that last verse. And that last verse is very, very important because that last verse is what the entire text is all about. Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. That's what makes us disciples. That's what makes disciples. Followers. What is a disciple? And it, it's, it's been about almost exactly a year for, for Broxton that I, that I actually preached on this very, very thing. What is a disciple? It ain't just somebody who believes. It is somebody who follows. It is somebody who follows. It is recognizing our master. And in this case, our master is Jesus Christ and becoming like him and listening to his teachings, following his teachings, seeking the Holy Spirit's help, seeking the grace of God to help us and to form us into people who look and think and talk and act like Jesus Christ. That is what a disciple is. And that is what Jesus calls us to be and to make in these verses. Disciples. Jesus Christ in no uncertain terms directs us to teach 
new disciples to learn and to obey his teachings. But we have fallen very, very often. We have fallen very, very short in this. Because we have oftentimes, and church, my Broxton folks, if this seems repetitive, sometimes, sometimes things are worth repeating. We've very, very oftentimes been sold and bought into a short-sighted version of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been told, we've been taught a short-sighted version, and we bought into a short-sighted version of the gospel of Jesus. As I've told our congregation here on many, many occasions, salvation extends far beyond simply getting our ticket into heaven. Unfortunately, I think a lot of times we have made it exactly that. That is called, there's, I'm going to throw a big word out here for you. That's called justification. Justification really is what makes us believers. It is, it is because of the, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension and our belief in Jesus' Jesus's, uh, uh, atonement for our sins, that we are justified before God, that we, about, we are brought into a relationship with God, that we are able to be in a relationship with God. That's called justification. We are justified before Him. That is not, is not, is not the end all of salvation, and it is not the end of the gospel. So much more than just getting our get-out-of-hell-free card. So much more than just getting our ticket into heaven. Again, I'm going to go back to Dallas Willard. He puts it like this. He says that the problem is that we have become obsessed with this idea that the real issue is making the cut to get to heaven. We've become obsessed with the idea that the real issue is making the cut to getting our foot in the door in the heaven. We have taken discipleship out of conversion. Conversion. Many of us have experienced, myself included, these huge, these tremendous moments of conversion in our hearts where we have directly experienced the power and the love of God and our hearts were, were changed. Several, several weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, we talked about John Wesley, who was credited as being the founder of Methodism had one of those moments on Aldersgate Sunday. Y'all remember that? That was his, all. we call that his Aldersgate experience in the Methodist Church where he says he, he experienced the presence of God and, and he experienced the rest that he had, uh, that, that, that he had been, that he had been um, embraced and loved by God through nothing but faith and that his heart had been strangely warmed. Many of us have experienced these things. Many of us have these awesome, glorious, single moment experiences. But guess what, folks? Conversion doesn't stop there. Conversion doesn't stop there. Conversion is a lifelong process. Salvation is a lifelong process. It's not a one and done. It's not a one-time event. It's ongoing. Paul tells us that. Scripture tells us that. That conversion is a lifelong, ongoing process. Let me get back to Dallas. We've taken discipleship out of conversion. Salvation is not an event. It is a life 
<laughs> Salvation is not an event. It is a life. It's not just forgiveness. It's not just getting our ticket into heaven. It is now. Here it is, folks. Here it is. Now, this is the stuff that makes me want to shout. It, it being salvation, it being conversion, is an interactive life with God, participating now in what Jesus is doing on earth. The biblical word for salvation is deliverance. I love that so much. I have to repeat it one more time. Third time. It is not conversion, salvation. It's not just about forgiveness or just about getting our ticket into heaven. Here it is. It is an interactive life with God participating now in what Jesus is doing on earth. That is the gospel, folks. That is the full story. That's the whole story. That we can experience Jesus right here and now. We can experience that ongoing conversion right here and now. It's not just a one-time event. It is an ongoing process. The stated mission, <laughs> the stated mission of the United Methodist Church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That's in our, that's in our, what we call our book of discipline. It kind of lays out our beliefs and our doctrines and that type of stuff. The mission of the United Methodist Church is to make disciples for the transformation of the world. Folks, we are never called, never, ever, will you find in this book, in the words of Jesus, in the words of Paul, in the words of any early Christian, are we ever called to be believers? There's a lot of believers out there today, folks. There's a lot of believers out there today. How many disciples are out there today? And of course, before, before you talk bad about me, of course believing is part of the equation. You can't have one without the other. We were never called to stop at being believers. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have taught you or all that I have commanded you. That's what we're called to be. That's what we're called to live into. That's what conversion looks like, and that is what salvation looks like. Church, we shortchange God. We shortchange our neighbors, we shortchange our brothers and our sisters, and we shortchange ourselves when we reduce our faith to mere justification or to mere belief only. We shortchange God, we shortchange our college Christians, we shortchange our neighbors, we shortchange our brothers and our sisters, and we shortchange ourselves. When we reduce our faith to mere justification and mere belief only. We have to get beyond this, church. We have to get beyond this. Jesus invites us to participate in his kingdom today. Today, we are active participants in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Not just when we die. It's not something just to look forward to. We've got it right now. That's the invitation that we have, to be participants 
in Jesus' kingdom. As Paul puts it, Christ invites us to be transformed, Roxton United Methodist, by the renewing of our minds. Romans 12. Be transformed into the mind of Christ. Be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That we are being saved, Paul says. Check this out. We are being saved. Notice the verb tense there. Not we, not we have been saved. Not we will be saved, but we are being saved. It's active. It's ongoing. We are being saved. If we continue to abide in Jesus. And there's another, another great word, that word abide. We don't have time to get into that right now. That is a wonderful, wonderful word, abiding in Jesus. Folks, the gospel is so much bigger than our individual salvation before God. And I'm sorry that we've taught that. I'm sorry we bought into that. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is so much more. It's about so much more than just me. It's more, so much more than just about me. It is more than our individual justification before God, which of course, of course, as I've already said, is incredible. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the whole story. It is the complete story of Jesus. It's his birth. It is his life. It is his teachings. It is his crucifixion. It is his, his death. It is his resurrection. And it is his ascension. All of that, all of that includes the, what we call the good news or the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of that includes his teachings to be and how, how to be and how to make disciples. This is his invitation, folks. This is his invitation for us. We, as those who claim him as Lord, to join him in his mission. To join him in subverting the ways of the world. What a better time to be doing this than that. What a better time to be subverting the violence and the meanness and all of and all of all of the ugly, ugly things that we're seeing going on right now. What a wonderful time to be joining Jesus in subverting the ways of the world, revealing to others. What God's kingdom is. What God's kingdom looks like. That is an invitation. That I cannot deny. And I hope you won't either. Being. And making. Disciples. Of Jesus Christ. For his kingdom. For his glory. Pray with me if you will. Gracious God we thank you. As always, for your word, Father, we thank you for the gospel that you presented to us. We thank you for we thank you for the gift of justification that we have a right relationship with the Father because of your atonement. God, we thank you for the for the teachings that you have laid out for us in your gospel. Heavenly Father, help us to be submissive. Open our hearts. Turn off our turn off our blinders. Turn off our own prejudices and our own preferences. And help us to embrace your word, your teachings, for your glory, for the good of others. This we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you always.